Good morning. Who's going to the women's retreat? Yeah, sign me up. Early registration, it's free. No, it's not. Um, uh, if this is the first Sunday you're joining us this year, welcome. You've caught us in the midst of a series on this psalm, Psalm 23. And today we're going to focus on this third verse uh, together. But in order to talk about that, I need to show you a, a map. And this is a map of my neighborhood. Our name. This is us. You can see us up there. Platt Park Church. We'll see if this works. Oh. Um, so you'll have to use your imaginations. This is a good exercise. Um, and a, a few years ago, a friend of mine moved to the neighborhood, and we started doing prayer walks in the morning, at 5 o'clock in the morning. I know. It was terrible like, timing. Um, and what we decided, I would live on one block, and she kind of lived on this other block, and we would meet on a corner in the dark. You know, you approach strangers in the dark. Like, are you here to pray? That's not, uh, and, we, and, she, and she would always ask me the same question. She would ask me, uh, do you want to lead? And I would always say no. Uh, and then one of us chose to lead. And when I led, you could see me almost like do a grid of a walk through the neighborhood as I kind of went up and down different streets through the course of an hour until we got somewhere and I saw my watch and thought, oh, well, we should just probably head back. And we would walk directly back to where we met, and then we would go home to our homes, and we would meet again another time. And that's how I led those prayer walks. But the way she led those prayer walks was considerably different. And we would meet, and when, I, and when she would walk in front, she'd walk maybe like four, 30 paces in front of me. And she would walk... I'm trying to illustrate this. And she would walk to an intersection on one corner, right? There's a corner and a corner. And she would kind of look around. And then she would walk across the street to the corner. And she would look around. And then she would walk across the street to that corner. And then she would look around and walk across the street to that corner. And then she would return to where we started. And I don't think she even noticed this, but I did, right? I think she was just kind of considering, well, what do we do now? I guess we'll go this way. Now that I'm here, I'll go this way. But as someone walking 30 paces behind you, I'm acutely aware that we've just walked in a circle. <laughs> See, in my mind, because my mind has kind of this Western culture to it that has a, you know, prioritizes efficiency, productivity, and achievement. And so that's how I'm going to walk, prayer walk our neighborhood. But not everyone has that same mindset. It's a very Western mindset. And so when we read Psalm 23, verse 3, we want to remember that that is not the Western mindset. It's not a linear, efficient, productive, achieving mindset. It's an Eastern mindset. It's a Hebrew mindset. And the Hebrew mindset's focus, attention, is on cadence and rhythm, cycles. That's what 
there is embedded in their culture. And so that's how they're approaching this passage. This is how they would understand this passage. They wouldn't see it necessarily with this Western mindset. And what, is, what difference does that make? I think it makes all the difference in the world. Let's take a look. Even in this first refrain, he refreshes my soul. Some translations render it, uh, he revives my soul. He restores my soul. He renews my life. One translation reads, he causes me to come back. Like my soul has come back to me. In today's world, we might say something more like, I feel like myself again. Maybe after an illness, maybe after an injury, but we are recovering and maybe we can get back to things that we were doing and we feel like ourself again. He restores me is that sentiment. I feel back where we started. I feel like I've returned. All of those words, this revives, refreshes, renews, they have this connotation of coming back to and a return to. And that makes more sense given the next phrase. When David continues to pen, he guides me along the right paths. Perhaps in life you've had those moments where you think this thing feels a little bit familiar. I had a moment like that on that morning where I thought, we've been to this corner <laughs> like just moments ago. We were right here. Uh, are we losing track of, you know, are we not achieving what we're out here to do? And we're never back where we were, right? Like, even in this thought of, of like, I don't know, maybe a minute passed between being on this corner and then crossing the street three times and returning to this corner, we're not there again in the same way. I certainly wasn't. I, the way I was thinking was wildly different in that moment than two minutes earlier in that same spot. And whether or not I could notice it, the light had changed, and the sounds had changed, and the circumstance itself had changed. It wasn't the same, but it felt familiar. And we have these moments along our journey where we go, yeah, it's this again, but it's never just again. It's always a degree deeper. It's always a degree further in. It's always a degree different. One translation renders this uh, verse, he leads me in paths of righteousness. The Hebrew would, could actually read, God leads us in cycles of righteousness. Maybe they do this. Or maybe they do this. He leads me in a cycle a rhythm of righteousness. Again, our Western minds are so problem-task-oriented, so speed-driven, that we bump into something like this, and that's how we think of it. Well, the righteous path must be, like, kind of singular, and it must be, there must be, like, some definitive characteristics about that, like uh, a certain way of living, like be holy, and then all the people that are living that holy existence are in the righteous path. 
the right path. Is how kind of a Western mind can think about it. But in terms of an Eastern mind, they're thinking about it in terms of like, what does it mean to be exactly where you are heading somewhere? The emphasis might not be on that destination like we do here in the West. The emphasis is actually being on exactly where you are, precisely where you belong in that moment. So when it comes to the path, we read this in John when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the word way there is a Greek word hodos. And the connotations of hodos are pretty profound. He's talking about it's not like an explicit way. It's an implicit way. He's saying, I am the pathway. I am the way. I am the journey. I am the path. We read in Proverbs 12, there is life in the path of righteousness. And it goes on. And in its path, there is no death. The path they're talking about is not like this explicit pathway to righteousness. The path is Christ. The pathway is Christ. Because if, in one sense, if we start thinking about the path as, and I can tend to do this, I can think of the path as, oh, well, it's uh, like a pure life, a morally upright life. That's a righteous pathway. Like if I just can get all the nonsense of my life ordered, then I'll get on with being righteous. And that opportunity ended ages ago. (laughs) But instead, the path is about what does it look like to live this very exact moment not alone? What does it look like to recognize that this moment is exactly available with him? That's the righteous life. The righteous life is a life lived with him. In where that pathway goes. The righteous path is in that moment where we are together. And it might feel familiar to some of us. We might be like, yeah, I've seen this view before. But it's never the same. Something is different. Something beautiful has changed in the circumstance and in me. And these two things have never met here before. David puts uh, the pathway this way in Psalm 139. He says, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. His point, he goes everywhere with you. His point is that that God's love doesn't have a boundary to where you're off to. That it goes with us. Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in, our, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we think about the wayward path, we think about the wayward path as it's alone. Think of that Green Day song for some reason. I walked this lonely. That just came to me. We'll figure that out for second service. That's fun. <laughs> Charlie's going to sing that. Second service. The wayward path is walked alone. The righteous path is acutely aware that he is here with me right now in precisely the right way. So what do we think about when we think about what David's talking about when he talks about walking a straight path? Why is he praying, Lord, straighten my path? And we begin to see, okay, a straight path doesn't, he doesn't mean it's linearly like, all right, we're going to nail this thing. Now we've figured this out. The straight path is the with God life. So when he says, Lord, make my, straight, my, my, my way straight, make this straight path that I might follow in, he's saying, Lord, welcome, come, participate right here, be with me again, again. Again. Now, Jesus, we can consider um, when we think about him as a shepherd, we might even think about him as, well, in one sense, a travel guide. And a good travel guide is in, inherently interested in his reputation as a travel guide. And he wants to take good care of those that are traveling with him. Really, he wants to ensure that they are provided for and they're safe until their arrival somewhere else. And that's the reputation that, we're, that David's talking about and how this verse concludes when we read, for his name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. It's for his reputation's sake. So what does this mean? It means that, I think of it this way. I think of like, um, sometimes we can, we, can, we can assume that all shepherds in the Bible were really good shepherds. They weren't. Just like they aren't all good today. Not everybody, not all the shepherds are good in the Bible. Um, just like all medical students aren't great, but they're still doctors, right? Some shepherds chose to neglect their flocks. Some shepherds released a bunch of responsibilities that harmed their flock. And that's the background to which Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Like, there's a bunch of these, this kind of shepherd that exists. And John 10, 10, he says, I'm a good one. I'm a good shepherd. And it's against that background that he appoints Peter in John 21. Be a good shepherd. 
That's what he's talking about. Not just be a shepherd, be a good one. And good ones protect their flocks. They provide for their flocks. And why? Because it's in the interest of the shepherd. It's for his sake. If I'm a good shepherd, my hope is that that understanding is recognized elsewhere in the land. Not just by other shepherds, but I think is recognized by other sheep. Like, my shepherd's kind of this way. He's kind of bully. He's hard on me. Sometimes he neglects me. But for his sake means we, that other sheep are able to look around and see those in his care and say, oh, he looks like he's doing something different. And I'd love to be a part of that flock. I'd love to be a part of that shepherd's flock. And so when we read a passage that talks about, oh, it's for his namesake, what we, what we can read is, oh, what he's doing here is he's enriching our lives with his presence by righteousness that other people around us symptomatically begin to notice. And it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, there's no more difficulty or trouble in our life. And that's what people are noticing. What they're noticing is our being, right, within it. That our soul is restored amidst it. That we are called back and, oh, I feel more like myself again, free again here. Not absent of difficulty, but, oh, I feel like myself here, within it. And how palpable that might be to other sheep. Hey, that thing, I, I, I know that there's this trouble going on in this person's life, but man, it doesn't disrupt or disorient them as deeply as it does me. What is going on there? It's something compelling about this person. There's something that they're up to that I would love to enjoy myself. I wonder if they're taking applicants. At one time I was, I was talking with a, this is, eight, this is like years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, and I was talking with a friend, um, and she's a little older, she's maybe 80 something. And I was telling her about an opportunity that I was facing in life. And I told her, you know, I don't know if my motives for this are totally pure. And she goes, I've never had an entirely pure motive in my life. <laughs> and I thought, oh, phew. Like, thank God. Oh, phew. When we're walking paths, sometimes we can think, well, is this the righteous path? Is this the, the, the wandering path? What makes it righteous or wandering is not the trouble that we're facing. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't make it whether it's entirely pure motive or an entirely noble motive. <laughs> yes. 
it means that at that moment we can say, yes, Lord, come to this one too. I need you here right now today for this. Would you join me here, please, Lord, again, for this sake, that we might be together here, and that pathway becomes straight in that moment. Those are righteous paths. He guides me along them. Sometimes we can look at other people's lives and be like, eh, it's certainly characterized by that stuff. It must be humble because that person's humble, so I'm going to get humble and on the righteous path. But then we go from there, and we're not a particularly humble person. We're like, I need to get back to that path. That's how we can tend to think about it. When instead, in moments where I'm experiencing something other than humility, that becomes the way. It becomes the righteous path. When I invite and welcome him to join me in it. Or come here and be here with me, knowing that he already is, and that there is no boundary to his love. And to assume that we're kind of on a wayward path beyond his care, beyond his availability, is a gross misrepresentation of his love at best. But, oh, no, you're here. There's never too far. There's never too left or right. Henry Nouwen puts it this way in The Wounded Healer of what it looks like then to be a Christian. He says, when the imitation of Christ does not mean to live a life like Christ, but to live a life, to, li- to live your life as authentically as Christ lived his, then there are many ways and forms in which a man can be a Christian. Like as many forms as there are individuals today. Like even my form, even my Tuesday night form, <laughs> even my Friday night form, yeah, that form too. Even where I go in my head when I start thinking real critically of self or others, that form, yeah, that form too. Even when this stuff in my life isn't totally cleaned up, yeah, that form too. That's the righteous path. With his presence. Lord, come into this with me now. Might you populate this space here with me today? When we think about it this way, all of a sudden, the perfect place to be is is exactly where I happen to be. That becomes the best place to be. I'm not trying to get away from where I'm at. I get to be here. And this way is in perfect service to us (laughs) and our righteousness together. Now, the most common metaphor for you and I, for us, in Scripture is sheep. We're sheep, whether you like it or not. And sheep tend to wander. They're wanderers. 
And that's not a bad, necessarily bad thing. It's that their nature. Wandering is one of the beautiful things that make us human. And it makes, it's one of the most romantic parts of this life that we have. It makes it so interesting that we're wandering about. What we wander toward becomes really interesting and significant. As we get to listen to, oh, I'm involved in this, and it happens to be just precisely the right way for us to be together. Now, sheep have a difficult time to take care of themselves. That's just part of the sheep life. It's where the refrain, like, sheep without a shepherd comes from. Like, ooh, they need some help. (laughs) They need some help. In our return, when we're kind of off the right path, isn't because I can go, oh, it's back there, I'm going to just negotiate my way back there. It's by recognizing where the shepherd is. Where's the shepherd in this? Where's the shepherd in this moment of my life? And if we can find the shepherd, we can find everything we need. That's what the sheep are thinking. They're not thinking, how do I find water? Where do I find rest? Where do I get... They're thinking, where's my shepherd? And are we in that mindset when we're just walking paths? Where are you, Lord, in this context of things all around me? Might you reveal yourself in a new and exciting way? Now, a couple of things before we kind of move on. Sometimes we can think all of that is my responsibility. Like, okay, go get on with that. And our ability to, to appreciate God's presence and activity in our life is by his grace, not ours. And, this is good news, and the ability to even desire him in the moment is his grace in our lives. Some of us are like, yeah, I just really wish I could get a pulse on God's activity in my own life. That is his activity in our life. That moment I'm walking around just minding my own business and God comes to my mind is not because I'm such an amazing, righteous person. That is by grace. That's his activity in our life. And we get to go, yes, to that activity in life. Yes, Lord, please, and more. And so in these moments where we're caught, wherever that pathway is, where we go, oh, I'm just thinking about God all of a sudden, it can go, yes, Lord, thank you. It doesn't matter the context. It's by grace that he's revealed himself in that moment. Yes, Lord, yes. And all of it, as much of it, as you care to extend me, I'm happy to receive. He's committed to our growth. He wants us to grow our capacity to 
recognize him wherever we happen to go. When we talk about he restores my soul, we're talking about those moments where we go, oh, I'm happy to be home again. And he guides me in right paths are these moments where we imagine, oh, this could be more of God here. There could be more of God in this. That's the magus. Lord, I want as much of you in this moment as possible. And that's a right pathway. That's a path of righteousness. And for his sake is that we might become righteous ourselves through his presence by grace that those around us go, you know what, Stephen yells at me less. (laughs) You know, something's different about the way that Stephen treats himself, let alone others. I wonder what he's been up to. That's our hope. Is that for his namesake, we're out living exactly where we are, and others are observing it and thinking, wow, that shepherd takes particularly good care of them. We pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are here as we are here, as we are here together. Lord, I pray that um, in your great goodness and kindness, you may greet each of us in precisely the right way. Wherever we find ourselves, in the journey of becoming. That we recognize your love has no boundaries on the circumstances of our life and the pathways we walk. And Lord, I ask that we may respond to your grace in moments by inviting you and welcoming you all the more to wherever we find ourselves today. We love you and we trust you. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.